Welcome to Season 5 of the podcast of the Urban Mystic. Season, we're exploring relational spirituality. It's rooted in the drawing near and withdrawing of God. It's a practice of spirituality that's rooted in God's relational presence. In this sense, relational spirituality differs to the dominant spiritualities we used to. The doing church paradigm, along with our devotional and formative spiritualities, are rooted in the paradigms of silence and mystery. In this episode, we begin with an exploration of this podcast as our weekly pilgrimage towards clarifying and presenting a real-world relational spirituality that's rooted in the practice of the presence of God. The conversation continues into how our human-to-human relationships provide a window to understanding what a healthy relationship with God can be and the degree to which such is actually not what many of us are experiencing. Don't forget to like, subscribe and leave a comment on your favorite listening platform. We genuinely believe that nurturing the value for intimacy with God leads to practicing the presence of God and that this is the most important and critical quest for our generation. We rely on your general support to do this work. If you'd like to support us, follow the link in the show notes to the PayPal to make a contribution to our work. One of the things we've, we've been noting and working with is the, is the interplay between, I guess, the structure we've had for this as a series and, and some of the really considered landmarks and markers that we want to hit in the conversation and in the series. There's 16 or 17 of them that we'd initially outlined. But then as we've picked this up, we've meandered a little bit around, you know, especially the the initial point. Um, that's been because we've been able to just have a very real conversation with each other and where we can lead with curiosity and where we can really grapple with the subject matter, grapple with those landmarks where we can spend some time there rather than just rushing along. So, so I'm I'm having a bit of a bit of an image in my mind that this season for you and I is a is is is, is really a mix between defining what relational spirituality is and putting it out there, but it's also our our conversational pilgrimage. It's us taking time out every week for a considered conversation around this and what's come up for us, and so some of it. Some of it flows in terms of the structure, in terms of the next landmark. We can see where we're going or we can see where we've come from. But as a pilgrimage, we're not necessarily just rushing as a, as, as a, as a meditation, as a, as, a, as a prayerful reflection, as conversation, you know, as, as all of those things. We're actually resting and we're grappling. And in some ways, this ends up being a mix between our curiosity and our conversation that actually opens the discussion up and opens some topics up further as we spend some time around a marker. But that doesn't mean that we don't have an idea of, of where we want to land. I like the conversational pilgrimage that you speak about. That's, that's really, really, that's a nice, uh, that's a nice phrase. And, and I think I've just, been, I've just been thinking a little bit more reflexively about what it is that we're doing and the manner in which we're doing, the mode in which we're doing it the format we're using and just some of it has felt a little elusive to me and at some points a little frustrating around kind of where are we headed and, 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 and how we're going about that. And there are a number of things that I sort of hold together in concert. So there's the experience of the listener, which is very important and kind of how we are leaving a trail of breadcrumbs along the path that we're headed. But there's also the quality of the conversation between you and I, which picks up on a, b- a bunch of what you've just talked about now, which is our ability to just go off down a rabbit trail and, and just, you know, just go and explore a, a thought or a concept. It is the ability to just 
you know, when, I, when I think pilgrimage, a new image comes up and I'm, I'm seeing us just move through a landscape. And so when you have a very sort of structured and rigorous, like a lecture series or um, like a course or a workshop, then, you know, you've got a day at each bed and breakfast and the next day you've got to hit the road and you've got to cover 120 Ks before you get to your next stop and lunches at a certain time. And a lot of this is great. It, that's really helpful. It's really wonderful. You know, you're going to move to a destination. But for me, that's a little too, not rigorous, too rigid, what I meant to say earlier. And there's not enough space to just go, well, like there's a bistro there behind the B&B. And they say they've got live music tomorrow night. We're not supposed to be here tomorrow night, but what if we were? What if we just didn't leave and just hung around in this little town and went to see what that band was? And maybe it'll be a terrible band. Maybe it'll be one of the worst times of our life. We'll come away with bleeding you know, ears and <laughs> whatever it might be. But that kind of freedom to just explore. And so part of this, and I've only really mentioned two elements there, but part of this for me is, is looking again at that question that we that we had when we started the season, which is kind of what of our what is our voice, and so the image that came to me during this week, which I'll now go back to, is, is kind of you and I just hanging out somewhere in a room, in a living room in a lounge, just sitting on some couches, and we just meet weekly for an intentional conversation, and it's as if the listener has just wandered in, and sits down with us and says, "Hey, what are you guys talking about?" And we tell them some of what we're talking about in this conversation, you know, so you pick up an episode and you get to listen. But we can also say, well, we have previously spoken about this, but we're also aiming at this and that, the next thing and a couple of other things in the future. And there might be other things that come up. And that for me, you know, when you use the word pilgrimage, I think is so important because I think what's got me stuck is I feel as though I want to make a promise to our listeners of where we're going to land up. And to a certain extent, we are making a promise. We're aiming at relational spirituality, the theology that accompanies that, um, taking experience seriously, the practice of the presence of God. Like, I don't see much of that changing over time as we move forward. But unlike a course, I'm not going to promise that in three days' time, if you do eight hours a day, you can be certified as M. This is a lot more exploratory we need more time. We have to be able to run off down the down the rabbit trail and check out that little bistro and the band and see what's going on and then come back and and come back to these intentional, deep, connected conversations. And so yeah, I just I thought that that might be a if if just for me, an interesting place to start this episode going, this is a clearer and clearer sense I have, is that these are conversations that have somewhat of a destination in mind. And to a certain extent, it's quite clear. And I think some of it will just become clearer as we move. The route that we travel may change a little. And I very much take seriously that as, a, as, as somewhat of a guide, I guess, although that word perhaps requires some unpacking and some careful qualification. I'm responsible for, for you know, whoever's listening and whoever's going on this journey as well to, to be as clear as I can, to, to follow some sort of pattern, to, you know, to, to take seriously that, that role. But that's in concert and in balance with a couple of other things that need to be there, which is these 
these way markers that you've talked about that we're going to hit on the way, the, the need for us to be curious and responsive to new questions as they emerge, new ideas, to perhaps returning to a conversation, to, to take it further, to pick up on questions that have emerged from previous conversations that we didn't quite hear at first, perhaps even as I'm hopeful some sort of digital community starts to form further and further around the journey we're taking to have listeners' questions and people who are poking us and saying, hey, I've had this experience, or what about this, or you know, can you answer that, or, or not answer, I, I don't like that so much as just explore. So there's a bunch of things together for me that I, that I really take seriously and that I love about what we're doing, and, and I love the fact that we get to explore that, and I'm looking forward to doing more and more of that. So. Well, there's, there's a number of threads that are coming together, yeah. The, the, one, the one is that we're, we're actually publishing in various ways, and the podcast is, is one publication. I'm very seriously working on a, a book that goes in parallel with this that, that you know, will be a, little, a lot more succinct, right? But, but really includes a lot of, like, what we're talking about here and, and, and touches on that. So that that ends up being something that can be quite accessible and doesn't necessarily meander down all the paths we're meandering on. But what we're doing here very much informs and enables that to come together. Then there's the conversations that happen with listeners in between. You know, I, I, I have regular conversations with some people and then once-off conversations with people as well, where things have come up based on an episode or two and, you know, then meet and, and have conversation. But but there's, there's two things that I just want to mention here, really, though, aside from that, because that's that's the immediate in our workspace, and that is, is number one, we're dealing with 2,000 years of Christian history and a significant transition from primal Christianity to institutional Christianity, and in this context, making an argument for a relational spirituality that I don't believe has been established and defined historically prior to this. And so to recognize that there's there's a dominant spirituality in terms of doing church and the doing church paradigm, and then there's two formative or character transformation spiritualities, one being devotional and the other one being rooted in wisdom and, and self-relationship, to really take a stab at them and go, those are valuable, but they're actually not relational spirituality in the sense that we're putting forward and, and arguing for you. Yeah. It, it's quite a big... It's quite a big woolly mammoth to tackle. <laughs> and and it's very important for us to give the time that's needed to the conversation to explore it at the level that's required and to have the curiosity to really chew through those things. Because because we're dealing with a with many threads over two millennia and a very complex modern and primarily Western world that itself has moved from religious to secular and in the context of being secular is moving towards post-secular. And in that sense, there's a lot going on in terms of deconstruction, moving past institutionalism and back to a relational paradigm for spirituality. And in that context, taking seriously relational engagement with God and trust of it. So there's, there's a heck of a lot going on here. And, and although we're having these conversations that aren't always referring to these things, I feel like these conversations take place in the 
you know, kind of like in a fireplace, it, like it almost picture it in a lounge and there's a fireplace between us <laughs> and, and we're having a drink together, but there's a big shadow that's being cast by this, this massive monolith that's behind us. So I, I kind of had that picture in mind as well, which is why I feel like the, the idea of, of, of us having a clear idea of, of where we're going with the season, where we want to land, but actually taking the time at all the stops along the way, I think is really important. The last thought that I have having heard what you've shared now and just our sort of back and forth now is I think what just seems to come naturally to me is as I guess just to say to our to our listeners firstly thank you so much for the attention and for those who've, who've been around for a while listening to our conversations for a while if you're new thank you for joining us as well it's really really awesome to to have you on board um and um yeah, stick stick with us along this season and this journey. We would love to hear from you. We would love to be in touch with you. We love to do one-on-one conversations with people as well. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that you that you will get a sense of that uh, that conversation in the room together. That it will enrich you to listen to it. Um, that it'll enrich you to be there to hear Tim and I talking. But that more than that, my you know the end game for me is never that sort of passive listening but that you would both within yourself um, be willing to push into or be further willing to push into this relational space within yourself, with others and with God. Um, and if part of that is then to engage with us, and that's, then that's really, really wonderful. So I hope it is enjoyable, but I hope a little bit more deeply than that, that to a certain extent, it's, 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 somewhat easily followable <laughs> in terms of where the ground that we cover um, just in terms of you know kind of where the conversations go um, and 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 that it's really stimulating I hope it's of benefit you know more than just enjoyable and uh, and easy to follow as the you know the trajectory of the episodes linked together and the, the flow of them I hope it's I hope it's really now, I hope it does something for you. I hope something awakens within you or is fueled or is reignited or whatever the language might be that fits wherever you're at as you listen. Um, it, it really is. It's a bit strange for me. I'm sitting here in the Netherlands in Europe looking out of a little window uh, at a dairy farm in really a little bit of, like, forgive me, Holland, I'm sorry, but a little bit of the arse end of the Netherlands. It's uh, a little bit uh, surreal to sit here just looking out at the sky thinking like potentially some of the conversations we have are very meaningful firstly to Tim and I but then to other people listening and that that may be doing things for people within their own relational selves as they relate to others and as they relate to God and it's a that's a privilege that is very difficult to describe and so thank you very much for I guess for trusting us for risking coming along for listening, for sending questions, for engaging, for whatever it is on your own personal journey. That's a bit of a ramble, but uh, I'm hoping I managed to sort of hit the bullseye eventually. I'm very grateful. It's a weird, surreal privilege to do this, and uh, I, I hope that it's of uh, real benefit as you listen along. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that happens as well is is we – we mentioned some threads, so like like last last week I mentioned some stuff and then said, we, we'll come back to it some other time. And then by the time we get to this week, 
we kind of realized between you and I that it's not yet time to come back to that. So we'll come back to that at another time. And so, <laughs> so, so, so I'd, I'd mentioned that as part of the, the spiritual journey, there is God's, God's abandonment of us, which I think people try to rescue and solve too soon as though you can never abandon by God. You know, we've got these biblical texts, like no matter how far or wide or, you know, whatever, like you can never get away from God. God's always going to be there. That does absolutely no justice to the reality that if you, you don't have to look much further than Jesus being abandoned on the cross <laughs> to go, it's right there within the primary story. And in fact, you can just go back earlier. He's led into the spirits and somewhat abandoned by God in, in, in the desert as well. If you look through history, you'll see that, that it, is, it is a constantly recurring theme and people people experience it, but then they're told that that's not what they're experiencing. And so they're unable to process it and there's no one to support them through that. And anyway, so that's the one long, dark tea time of the soul. The second one is arriving at the place of our abandonment of God, despite all of our promises, all of God's goodness, etc., etc. It ends up being very challenging to, to, to arrive at that and, 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 and process that. But those are two very big topics that that actually aren't that we're not really ready to cover and ready to chew through. But it very much touches on the difference between, you know, the believer in relation to silence and mystery versus the mystic in relation to a relational presence that comes and goes, and what the dynamics of that relationship is, and what a maturing relationship towards genuine intimacy with God is. So, so I reckon we'll we'll still get there and. For anyone that's wanting to pick those threads up, <laughs> stick with us. <laughs> we'll 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 get there. But but you'd suggested something and put something on the table in terms of in terms of relationships that 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 is perhaps really important for us to chat about tonight before moving on to any of the the other themes. And it's still it's still within this context of, you know, how how you put it, the, the human to human relationships, which is quite concrete and we can understand. Um and and by implication it becomes a springboard to understanding the human to divine relationship. So just 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 remind me again what you what you was what, what you took a stab at earlier. <laughs> I will I will try and do it better justice than I did earlier, and hopefully it's it's clear enough. But uh, that's the joy of these conversations, right? Is uh, I don't have to get my opening statement absolutely perfect. We're going to hash it out. Sort of upfront, I think the first thing to say is that I have to admit that the the point here comes from like a, a, an accusatory voice that I that I find still kind of operative in the back of my mind, and I think that's connected with just a number of years of. I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want to kind of. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not looking to say, oh, I'm such a terrible victim, and this thing is always over me, but. A number of years of being in church with when you have certain experiences or feelings or questions or whatever, I think you're often told, yeah, well, it can't be that. There's this Bible verse or there's this doctrinal statement or whatever. And so we can immediately just shoot down without having to explore. We can shoot down whatever you're bringing. There we go. Solved. I've had a number of experiences like that. And so this voice is still kind of active enough. And it's something that I'm trying to work on within myself to be able to release that that voice and uh, I'm starting to go into other territory that's going to take this in a whole different direction so maybe we'll we'll pick up on on internal voices at some point and and 
what it means to have an accuser inside you. But this accusation has arrived in the last week or so where I've been thinking, you know, we've, we've spent some time and also outside of our actual recordings, we talk a lot about relating to self, others, and God. But often the framework that we use is the human intra or the human to human inter relating sort of, uh, sort of the conceptual stuff, you know, there's that paradigm. And the accusation is, yeah, but God is not human. Therefore, everything that you've spoken about for the last however many weeks is just null and void. We're just going to shoot that out of the water. God is not human, so we can't use that way of understanding God. You can't talk about, yeah, but I relate to myself or to others like this, and so that gives me a handle on understanding God relating to me. And so that brought up the question, sort of what are the main or central tenets of, of a good human-to-human -human relationship? What's, what a, what's a good internal relationship with myself? What's a good relationship with others? And how would we then use those, <clears throat> those handholds to get a better grip on what it means to relate to God? And, and I thought, you know, that there's, I think it's a rather broad it's a rather broad canvas to explore because I think there's a little bit of merit in God is not human and therefore there's going to be some trouble eventually with the concepts or the language or whatever. So we could get there. But if we back off from there and don't take that as the only position, I think there's a whole host of other areas to explore around what it is to relate to God and how we can use the human handles to better relate to God. And as I was talking to you earlier, what sort of struck me was also that it's not just about kind of just the theoretical um, handles on how we relate to each other, but we actually also have to put the experiential in there. And you mentioned that, which, which I'd love for you to bring up uh, again as we chat is basically it reminded me of, of earlier we've talked about, you know, the aggregate person or the aggregate experience can actually not exist. And so what we actually have to do is to dial into each experience and take that seriously. And so we have to take these, these theoretical sort of handholds to get to grips with our actual experiences of God. And so the last piece I think is the idea of, you know, if you look in the Christian tradition at the, at the, at the scriptures, the Bible, sacred writings, God is often described in human terms. God is a shepherd or a king or a lover or you know, this mother hen, even animal terms, you know, but this, it's kind of within this physical realm, this understanding uh, that, that, that we, that we have of, of sort of easy concepts we, we use to, you know, I think of, inanimate objects, God is a shield or a tower, or there's all this kind of language that's used to describe God. And now you can't say, well, God is only a shield or only a tower. That doesn't make sense, but those might be aspects. God is a warrior is another human one. It's not unusual within the Christian tradition to use human language or aspects of humanity to describe God. It may not be everything, but if we were to start there and look at what is what is a healthy human way of relating? We factor in what are the actual experiences between humans and God? And can we apply those things there in terms of understanding? 
perhaps there's something a little bit in this accusation of God is not human that we would need to dig into. And then you also raised the idea of secure versus insecure ways of relating or, you know, there's healthy, unhealthy relationships. There's, there's, you know, better or worse. Um, and so I just, yeah, I guess that feels even worse. That feels even <laughs> more poorly framed than earlier. It's quite a big thing, but it just, it emerged from this idea of, no, we can't use this language that we've been using to describe relating to God. And I don't accept that because I think we can. And although there may be limitations and we can come to those, I think there's a huge amount of potential in using this in what we kind of more easily grasp. Just have to watch our behavior as humanity to go. It's actually not such an easy thing to, to get a, a good grip on what healthy human relating is to self and to others. But if we can, and, and that's easier, there are ways in which to understand what relationship looks like, what healthy relationship looks like, and what that might look like with God. And that can be a key to helping people unlock their actual relating to God, which is their actual experience, or at least to understand it better or to take it further than just going either, well, we don't relate to God. God is not human. God is you know, far away and removed. God is everywhere. God is the omnipresent sustainer, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, which is not which is not an active presence, which is also what we've been talking about. So th there's a wonderfully clear summary of the <laughs> question that I've been entertaining and wondering about. Obviously, there's no further conversation needed, and we'll just wrap it up here. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Ludicrous. So, what, can you make anything of that? Well, well, look on on the one hand. It's very important to recognize that we've got diverse language for God and God's relationships. And some of it's, and then we've got compound names and frames, and that as well for God, where an individual talks about God and their experience of God and creates a compound. So if you think of the classic, you know, Jehovah Jireh or any of, any of those kind of things, Jehovah Rapha, you know, God is provider, God is healer. There, there's, the, there's the linking that this divine person has, has broken into someone's experience in a particular way and significantly enough for them to create a compound. I can appropriate that, but have I experienced that? So there's a bit of a, there could be a gap, a gap between faith and a gap between relationship. I think on the other hand, there's, there, there are a number of relational images that vary in terms of the quality and kind of relationship that's at play. Think of the difference between relating to a king as a peasant or a servant, and God is the king. Think of the difference of relating to a shepherd as a, as a sheep. Again, there's guidance, but it's not relational. And then we get to things like the Song of Songs, where suddenly we've got the language of, of, of intimate lover. Now, now, there's a lot of diversity between each of those, because the relationship between a serf and a king, if that gets into the lover box in the in the real world, you're dealing with an abuse scenario. So, so there's ways in which these 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 images, they don't apply, in every situation. That doesn't mean that they're not real in relation to God. But the question is often is 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 that image of God or is that language is that real in terms of my relationship and my experience with God? Am I actually having that relational engagement with God, or am I drawing on? someone else's experience and aggregating it from it in that sense. So I think I think when we when we think of this, it's it's very easy to 
be so selective in the language that we choose that we build a picture of God that is not diverse enough to account for the fact that people in our congregations, people in our friendship circles, people in our own family may not be experiencing God in those ways at all. And it's very important for us to recognize that they don't. And it's very important for us to understand that the journey that they're on to experience God. So I was musing, I was musing for instance, to someone earlier today about how the language of hearing from someone is very different to the language of, ooh, do you have a prophetic gift? I can discount having to hear from God in a Pentecostal or charismatic environment on the basis of not having a prophetic gift. I can go, that's not for me. But if someone is my, is my intimate other and there's no self-disclosure between them and me, something is wrong with that relationship. The biblical text basically turns it on its head and goes that the foundation of that intimate relationship is actually the foundation of that prophetic gift. That's where the prophetic gift is supposed to get people, especially the person that has the prophetic gift. So there's something, there is something very unhealthy and there's something very disconnected in terms of the way we use language for God and relating to God and God's gifting and the way God speaks out in the wilds in the context of doing church. And when we dig into scripture and we develop a real theology or real spirituality from, from it, and we, we take a lot more into account. So that's kind of like what I'm putting on, uh, kind of what, what, what I'm throwing out in response. You know, we also have a lot of language for, for knowing or, 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 or cataphatic language and unknowing apophatic language. But the idea of arriving at a deeper super essentialism, which we don't often get around to because we've got the postmodern unknowing out there in the wilds and becoming quite popular, but we don't have an understanding of the deeper super essentialism. The, the irony is back in the ninth century they did. We don't today. We just have to we just actually have to look back within within our history of, of deep spiritual contributors to get to that. And from that to how they got to the to the love of God. So, you know, that's that's part of what we're doing, yeah. But I think I think between those images and understanding the dysfunction of the context that we're in where in our context, silence and mystery have displaced relational engagement and intimate self-disclosure. And so our language, even when we're drawing on scripture, does not match our experience. And then if we throw in the mix, um, I'm just going to throw this in. If we throw in the mix that we often idealize things as though one person has a secure relational attachment style, and that's the divine person, the human person also has a secure attachment style. And you know what? They can easily get there as long as they read the Bible and they behave and they belong and they practice the spiritual disciplines and they spend time with the self, then, then they're going to have that. But the reality is that is that we don't, we're not working with, with, with two individuals. One person can have a relational attachment style that's healthy. If the other person doesn't, that relationship between the two is not a healthy relationship. And I think we would fairly acknowledge that in a human-to-human -human relationship. But I'd put money on it that if you if you spoke about our relationship with God being an unhealthy and a dysfunctional relationship, despite who God is and how God wants to relate, you'll get a lot of kickback and a lot of resistance to that as an idea. Why the relationship is good? Why because God is good. So, so I think I, I think this ends up being quite a diverse topic, and it's it's quite significant because how do we even get it around to talking about God's healthy abandonment of us or our healthy abandonment of God? 
as part of our journey towards intimacy if we if we can't get through these very real dimensions of going well you know self intimacy is the end result of lots of poor interactions where people break trust by trying to reveal themselves and they trigger off each other etc etc you know we, we we can idealize the end results we can appropriate like like we were talking about last week it's almost like we appropriate the end results of a mature intimate silence and we bring that and we go see silence and mystery therefore we have that mature end result and we don't because we haven't walked that journey to get there and i feel like what you what you're raising here in terms of going there's a lot in the human to human relationships that allows us to 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 anchor the idea of a relationship in a very healthy way is one pole but then the other anchor that we need as you've said as well is the actual experience that's going on between individuals because we may have the end result of of intimacy or a close relationship in mind but that doesn't mean we're getting there and and the truth is is that out in the wilds we often accidentally land at relationships like that and and intentional relationships that are supposed to be about that we often spend years if not decades missing each other and not having that relationship mm. i don't think i've uh, responded in a way that makes it any easier yeah but i think that for me is is important because as you said earlier this is a this is a complex topic there's a lot going on and and so i think i just wanted to distill back down again for me to the central question here is no, it's not a central question here because I don't have a question about it. I have a, a feeling of, of some certainty around it. I have a picture of what a healthy relationship with God might look like because I have some pictures of what a healthy relationship with myself and with others might look like. For example, as you said, if you and I are in a friendship together and I'm was always speaking, telling you stuff about myself, and you're never telling me things about yourself. We have an unbalanced friendship. There is a, a lack of the mutual self-disclosure going on. Now, over time, I will come to resent that, possibly. Over time, I'll come to notice it, go step by step. I'll start to pick up. I'm forever sharing of myself. Tim nods, he smiles nicely, you know accepts what I have to say, asks some polite questions, but never goes any further than that. And eventually I will then start to resent that. Why, why am I the only one showing up? What's going on? Or I might become bored. Um, or if I'm very self-involved, I might love it. It might be wonderful. I only get to talk about myself. That's great. But over time, the, the relationship will break down and I can be quite clear on, okay, but this, this is part of the problem here is that there wasn't a mutual self-disclosure going on. And that's easy enough to see because I can assess our conversations and I can go, well, when we spoke, a lot of this happened and a lot of that didn't. This is no longer a relationship I wish to continue, despite the fact that I have experienced you to be a good guy, a friendly guy, a generous guy, whatever, over time. I can go, this is not an intimate friendship connection that I want to pursue because it doesn't have that one clear marker for me, not, the, not just one. This is, it doesn't have a clear marker, one of them being that we should be able to mutually self-disclose. That's important. When I put that alongside the relationship with God, I see the dissonance 
And that's what makes me go, oh, okay. I read God through the filter of the church or its doctrines or what the pastor says or the Bible or what the latest you know, Christian worship song or whatever it else might be telling me. And the message is you're fine with God. There is no problem. Your relationship is a-okay. And it's for a couple of reasons, potentially. The first one is often Jesus has already done everything, and so you have a perfect relationship with God. Attached to that is often, often very subtly, as long as you keep coming to church or keep tithing or keep listening to preaching. or When you start to feel that itch that there's something wrong, you've got to find the next song or the next preacher or the next church or the next big give or the next service project or whatever it is. There's nothing wrong with your relating to God, nothing. But when I look at the experience and I go, but, but I don't, you know, I, I pray desperately at night and I throw things out at God and I, and I speak to God and I tell God who I am and what I'm going through and what I'm battling with and whatever else it is. And then I rush off and read my Bible <laughs> or go to church or whatever. But my experience is that it's somewhat one way. I can take that seriously because I can look at my human-to-human -human reaction and go, oh, no, that's, but that's not a good, healthy relationship. Even if somebody leant over me and said, whatever, the pastor or the church or a book or whatever, and said, no, that's perfectly fine. You don't need to hear from Tim. You don't need to know more about Tim. You don't need to hear Tim in Tim's own voice say, this is what I'm going through. This is my current life situation, troubles, joys, celebrations, catastrophes, whatever it might be. You don't need that. Stop ignoring. Tim has made it in such a way that you can have a perfect relationship with Tim. So stop trying so hard and just accept it. Just believe. And then potentially, you know, by extension as part of that, keep going to Tim's house or, you know, keep eating Tim's food or whatever the, the ridiculous stretch of the analogy may, might be there. But I can look at the relating to God and go, no, there's something up here because I have a measurement scale that I have started to learn in my human to human or potentially even my intra relating as I look at myself. And so... That for me, I think is, is, is what, like, I find that so helpful. And to some level, I was surprised at how quickly the accusation emerged in the back of my mind that said, that's all garbage though, because <laughs> you can't do that with God because God is not human. But I beg to disagree. And so I'm certain there are some limitations to that, definitely. And I, and I think there are some great questions for us to explore in time around I was thinking just yesterday, <laughs> I can't remember when it happened. It was a while back, but I began to differentiate at that point, and, and, and there have been some, some further clarifying moments for me, a voice inside me that I can have a conversation with that a while back I suddenly realized wasn't God. And now I know what that voice sounds like. I know it's me, and it's me speaking with me, and I know God's voice actually sounds quite different, and I've begun to recognize the different voices, and, and even there, thinking of someone asking recently, but what do you mean voice of God? What does that sound like? Well, you know, we'll get in, we'll get there, maybe, hopefully, <laughs> 
But there, with relating to myself, I started to realize, okay, that's like I can tell the difference between if my daughter or my wife or my son call me from another room. I've started to pick up, even when they sound quite similar, there's just a little bit of a nuance. But some of it took me a while. Now I have a youngest daughter who actually sounds a lot like more like my son than my eldest daughter. That's requiring a little bit more like effort from my side to tune in, but I can pick up the difference. And so in that, you know, internally within me, I realized I was conversing and I thought it was God, but in time I realized, Oh no, no, that's not actually, that doesn't have the same, I don't know, ring to it. And so, yeah, it can be difficult, but it's incredibly helpful, I think, to have a good handle on what a good human relationship can be internally and with others. And I'm not, I'm not saying this is a one-size-fits-all blueprint that we just immediately put across because go immediately, oh, there we go, problem solved. But in the same way, the theoretical human interaction can be a useful tool to understand actual human interaction, which sometimes varies wildly you know, from the theory, depending on what's happening in the moment or the makeup of each individual, blah, 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 blah. It's helpful, though. You can have it hit a couple of, you know, big boxes to tick in terms of what a good human relationship is like. You still have to delve into that actual relationship and start to see, like, how is that actually playing out and manifesting and being experienced and accepted and all the rest of that stuff on both sides. And similar, I begin to believe more and more with God. You know, we could we could rewind back to your and my rock rock climbing days. Not that we ever rock climbed together, but um, you know, and someone could say to me, Tim, what's what's Steve like? Tell me about your relationship with him. And I go, yeah, you know, like last week, Steve and I went out rock climbing, and uh, you know, he belayed me, and I belayed him, and he did some, you know, he you know, he did some lead climbing, and I did some lead climbing, and then. You know, okay, well, cool. Well, what what else can you tell me? Well, I can tell you that the week before we went out rock climbing and we did the following, or and very soon it would become apparent that we do activities together. But what relationship do we have? And then I go, what do you mean? Like, of course we've got a friendship. Of course we know each other. Is yeah, we climb all the time. <laughs> we climb all the time, and and occasionally we go like, oh, you're having a heavy gravity day. Oh, man up, you know, take some concrete pulls, get, keep climbing, <laughs> you, you know. And uh, but but if we if we dug into it, there's no, there would be no self disclosure in that context. There would be no one on one deeper engagement, right? So we could have that. Doesn't mean that we wouldn't have a friendship in that context. But we've got a functional friendship. It's uh, it's activity based, and I feel like in many ways, you know, the reality is is that is that your climbing partner in that sense could be your intimate other. But like you you raised last week, can you go out on a date and not talk about the children, or has your relationship become a relationship about the children? And we don't think of those functional relationships. We we think because people are in a certain category or in a in a certain publicly recognized contract together, that therefore they have a certain quality of relationship that they don't, that they may or may not have, and I think our relationship with God is 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 exactly that same kind of thing, because when I ask people, nine times out of ten, when I ask people to tell me about their relationship with God, they'll tell me about their relationship to church and religion. Yeah, 
They'll talk about the rock climbing. Yeah, they'll yeah. Functionally they'll talk about the rock climbing of the kids, the housekeeping stuff. They but they're not talking about the here's our one on one time together, here's what it's like. We're not getting into deeper conversations. And that's where I think you you you're highlighting this as a parallel is particularly important because for us to really dive into relational spirituality is for us to really recognize this difference between a non-relational relationship and an actual deeper or an or an intimate relationship where self-disclosure is involved. And that's functioning the difference. You know, it's it's one of the reasons why when I host the seven key relationships, we start with our with our least intimate relationships and we move towards our deeper relationships. Is because without without being able to differentiate between what a like a functional relationship is we don't get into what a deep relationship is it's taking seriously the fact that we as humans are deeply relational beings internally and amongst ourselves but it's equally taking very seriously that god manifests God's self as a deeply relational being. And it's paying serious attention to that in a relational way. If I think about you talking about rock climbing, if we slice that a little thinner, if you and I are observant and somewhat internally connected with ourselves, we might actually be able to learn a little more about each other as we went rock climbing. And we might, if asked, be able to say a little bit more than, you know, these are the activities we did. We might do activities and through activities, so it's a proximity issue then and an observational issue. We are in proximity with each other and we are both observing each other closely we might be able to say, it seems that Steve really battles under pressure. What do you mean by pressure? Well, I think when he's fearful, I think he reverts to a, what's the language I'm looking for? Picturing somebody getting towards the top of a climb. It's high off the ground. The risk increases. A fall from there is more serious than from further down. And so each movement then has added risk and pressure to it. And so that fear potentially releases more of a I can't do it attitude. And so I watch Steve climbing. And the further up he goes, the less confident he is and the less willing he is to push to the top. I observe that. I see that in Steve. And someone would go, wow, you you know Steve really well. And we could go at that finer splice. No, because knowing would require an actual relating to each other. Because there I've only done the internal work within myself. I've used myself as a lens to observe another. It's not a relating to each other exchange proximity absolutely skilled observation absolutely but the relating to would take communication verbal and nonverbal around 
hey, Steve, I've noticed this when you're climbing. This is what I see. This is what I observe. What? Tell me the story. Take me into who you are. In that space, I would confirm what you see, or I would confirm and nuance what you see, or I would say no and take it in a different direction. I could shut you off completely, but if I were to self-disclose, at that point, your observation, your intuition, and your communication meets my response, my self-disclosure. And there we have an inter-happening, an interrelating happening, as if we are relational beings, which we are. And so even there, I think, you know, with the relating to God, we have people who are internally quite intuitive and connected, and they go and they do you know, the rock climbing <laughs> with God, <laughs> the, the, the service and the, and the whatever else, and, and they pick up things. As you say, like you, you can stand in a church service and you can watch someone 50 meters away from you, or depending on the size of the building, have an experience and, and someone experiences healing or release or freedom or you know, a number of things that just happen. And you can go, oh, okay, this God is God the healer. Okay, so tell me, Tim, then about your experience of God. Oh, I know God to be God the healer. How do you know that? Well, I've watched God heal someone. Okay, what does it feel like to engage with that healer to be healed? Oh, that I can't answer because I haven't related to the being itself. I've only been in a slightly more intentional connected space around the person of God potentially. And, and perhaps at that level, we might not even be using that language. But again, I, all of this I'm anchoring in, I can see the human to human. It's somewhat clear. And I think it's such a helpful window. Yeah. And curiously, like, like you'll find people like the third wave charismatics and others basically going, well, do you know what it's like? Well, let's just go out there and we're going to pray for people to be healed and you're just going to wait on God. You're going to do stuff. That again reduces the relationship to doing together and not knowing each other. Yes. And and I think that's that's one of the reasons why, and, and, and we'll, we'll definitely get into it later in the season, where I feel like we don't actually, from the Pentecostal and Charismatic stream even, which have the strong sense of the presence of God and God doing stuff. We've still not, we've not developed a relational spirituality out of that. Curiously enough, the, the, the rock climbing analogy can also be really, really good. Cause like I remember my rock climbing days, I observed after a while that I loved the individual challenge that I had and I wasn't in competition with others, but I did have some people feel like, Ooh, but I climb better than you. And they wanted to get into competition with me. And so there were interesting dynamics that then came out in terms of our interpersonal dynamics because I'm just trying to I'm just trying to have fun and I'm trying to increase my my, my range. So that was that, that was different. But others were in competition. But then internally within myself, I noticed as well that I had a particular way of of um, of stepping forward boldly into new things. So like I mean, how I started lead climbing was we were out as a group. And we all put our hands up, like how many times have people, you know, who's lead climbed? A bunch of us put our hands up. How many times everyone else had done one, I'd done twice. So I became the lead climber for the group. Like, 
total, total novice. So everything, everything was at that edge for me. But then I noticed that I pushed that for a while until there were better climbers that joined. And then I was happy for them to take the lead. And then I just, I, I plateaued. And so there was, the, the, that became a window to a whole bunch of like internal dynamics that were going on. But that doesn't mean that those were vulnerable or growing relationships with the people that I was around because I wasn't sharing my end of life and process with them. They weren't sharing theirs with me. We just stayed at the level of doing activity together. And so in some ways, there's a lot of things that we can do like that where, where we're taking on the challenge and the growth as our own. And I genuinely think that with a lot of our spiritualities, that's what we're doing. We're in the activity of doing the spirituality. We're growing internally. And then we go, look, my relationship with God is growing. Why? Because I'm maturing. I'm arriving at a sense of self. I'm getting better at things, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not the same thing. And so so there again, the, the you know, as you say, like what we can expect from a relationship, an intra-relational relationship with self versus an inter-relationship between interrelational relationship between persons differs when only one person is self-disclosing versus both are mutually self-disclosing and they're growing deeper. So, so yeah, there's, 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 there's a lot here that I think that really does parallel and then raises the question of what can we expect a relationship with God to look like? And the number one thing many people come back to is going, well, intimacy with God is very hard to define. And I go, yes, Probably because we're not pushing into it enough and we're not actually asking what that actually looks like it means. So let's do that. <laughs> yeah. And and again there I think like like you suggest, the relational dynamics between persons gives us an indication because we we created by God as the image of God to also grow into the likeness of God and to grow into relationship with God as well. Uh, what we can consider a relationship between two persons to look like becomes an analogy then and it becomes a, a vehicle or a window uh, perhaps even a bridge for us to understand what relating to God could look like but then the question is how do we build that how do we achieve that how do we and is it possible for that to be a mutual thing sure good questions Tough questions. <laughs> I'm not a relational expert, so I don't think I've expected to answer these. But Steve, as a relational expert. <laughs> well, you know, I, I wanted to pick up on one thing that you said earlier. You talked about, um, you know, how do we experience the presence of God? Well, we go out in the streets and we pray for people. And I think to myself, if I had a relationship with a doctor, I wouldn't want our only times of connection for me to be to follow her around on her uh, on her uh, on her duties at a hospital and watch her with patients. Now, would I find that beneficial? Absolutely. Would I find that an interesting window into the person that she is? Without a doubt. Would I experience moments of pride? of warmth, of affection, of insight in, in watching, watching a, you know, my partner, the doctor, perform all that sort of stuff with patients? Absolutely. Would I have a deeply textured and rich relationship with my partner, the doctor, if that was the height of our relational interaction? No. Similarly, 
if I, okay, so we'll stick with my partner, the doctor, right? So now at home, my partner, the, the doctor and I have a child and I watch my partner, I watch her bath the child and feed the child and dress the child and sing to the, the child sounds so clinical. <laughs> <laughs> um, sing to this little person, you know, that we've co-created and tuck them in at night and tell them that they're allowed to be brave and all these wonderful things, you know, that, that parents get to do on their own together, but that often also a parent will get to witness another parent do with with one of their children. Again, would, would I feel would I feel wonderful things towards that person? Yes. Would that potentially be the height of the relationship? Watching a genuine interaction between my partner, the doctor, and one of her patients, or my partner, the doctor, and one of our children, would that be a one-to-one -one interaction between me and the partner? No. No, no, no. Let me just phrase that better. Would that be the, would that be the, the pinnacle for me in terms of the connection? No, it wouldn't be. The pinnacle, if I have to look in the human, would be intimate one-to-one -one connections between myself and my partner. Conversations, moments of silence, definitely. Moments as lovers. Conflict moments. Moments of disagreement and then resolution. Moments when self-disclosure is less comfortable than others, you know, in a fight. But the hallmarks of that are not me participating in things where the gaze, let's talk eye contact, the body language, etc., is primarily directed away from me. And, and it's nuanced, right? Because... Like I've experienced before when I'm holding one of my children and my wife is talking to the child. So I'm now talking in real life. I've, I've now ditched my partner, the doctor. <laughs> and I'm talking about my actual partner now. She's talking to one of my children who's sitting on my lap. A lot of the, a lot of the boxes are kind of ticked, right? Like facing me, face towards me. Um, you know, I'm experiencing a lot of this as if it's one-on-one, -on -one, but it's not me. She might look up at me from time to time and smile, and there's a moment of connection around, look at this amazing little thing that we've got. Um, but the primary action is not directed at me. Even if it's easy enough to misconstrue that it is, it's not. And that is not deeply nourishing enough for me, I think, to have the depths of what a human-to-human -human relationship can be. The depths of that are, and it doesn't even have to be alone either, by the way. I mean, it can be in a crowded room, it can be in a movie theater, it can be in a car, it can be in a bus. <laughs> there are spaces of, of nonverbal communication verbal communication, connection, it's a glance, it's a hand gesture, it's a, a hand on a hand, it's, it's 
repetitive language, similar language, where you know you build your own currency of language between two people who are intimately connected. And now the hardest part, I think, for me is now looking across and going, okay, now let me assess my actual experiences with God and use those lenses. And the reason I say that that's hard is because immediately I think what happens is a process of disqualification. And it's cutting away some of those, okay, well, I can be in God's presence and God is talking to the child on my lap. Okay, that's, that's good for what it is. It's incredibly special and beautiful for what it is. But it's not some of the other things. God in a group setting, speaking or dealing with, uh, looking for language here that doesn't sound too churchy for me, but some sort of healing, some sort of, you know, I've, I've been present with people who have had significant emotional shifts in times when I'm convinced that God is present and, and it hasn't been easy to, to metabolize at that point in time that God is not looking at me, but at this person. But as I look back now with the human to human framework, I can go, okay, all right. So that's why I'm aware of your presence, but I don't feel like, oh, God's looking at me <laughs> because there's this nuance and, and that's beautiful and it's wonderful. And, and it's just incredible, some incredible memories for me of experiencing God where God is active with someone else. But it's not the same. And so those things, as beautiful and as good and as rich as they are, move to the side so that what, what is the one-to-one -one only can emerge, can sort of come into stark relief. So that's perhaps the first thing I would say. I don't know if maybe I should pause that. I don't know if you want to jump in on your thoughts or... I mean, that's, that's quite profound in the sense that you're contextualizing it in a very clear way. And it is very important for us to be able to recognize when God is out and about and who God is giving attention to and why. Because in a meeting, God isn't necessarily giving the same level of attention to everyone. There might be people that are selected and everyone else gets to look in on. Which again, that just challenges the, oh, but God is present equally everywhere. No, God, God isn't. When God moves relationally, it's very different. And we need to find a way to, to recapture that language. I feel like we're, we're often caught between the, these signs will follow those that believe, right? They should be there. And the, depart from me because I never knew you, <laughs> right? So therefore, those signs aren't important. We don't do them. But if we're honest, we don't do either those signs or the intimacy, you know, we don't fulfill the, my father and I will come and make our home in you. And, you know, that's the source of living. That's, that's the beginning of this life to the full. And that's this life to the full, you and your full embodiment. It's actually, you know, in the words of Richard Kearney, it's carnal, it's secular. It's not, it's not heavenly and a future thing. It's a, it's a this life now thing. And much of our spirituality is rooted in a future as opposed to, it's rooted in an equally inaccessible future as it is rooted in an equally inaccessible past. <laughs> Whereas 
it actually has to be a relational present tense thing for it to be vital. And our metrics are wrong in that sense because our metrics are not relational when it comes to the success of church planting or ministry. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's partly where I'm, I'm coming back to with what you're saying. But I feel like you had, you had more to say on that. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and I'm quite grateful I took the pause, um, firstly, to get your response. But secondly, sort of in the background, something's been happening, which I'll tell you about now that I just I wasn't aware of. So as I described that first step of kind of the disqualification and and specifically, I've I've managed to verbalize something just now that I've never verbalized before in this way. And I wasn't even certain that I had a need to until now. Yeah, so, yeah, so something very interesting for me seems to have emerged from that. So when I talk about being present, God being present in some sort of corporate meeting group setting, and God being busy with someone, and I am by proximity, it's not happening on the other side of the room, I'm actively engaged. I'm, I'm in the circle praying for people or for someone individually or whatever. And it's as if, as I say the words now, I'm suddenly aware of the actual dynamics of what was going on. And so a sense that God was there, but not the same sense of when God is kind of looking at me directly or dealing with me. And, and then I listened to what you're talking about, you know, God sort of moving amongst people and some are, you know, spoken to, dealt with, healed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and others are not, I suddenly am just, uh, I'm aware of a great neediness within me that I wasn't aware of in those moments, a neediness for one-on-one -on -one connection. Oh, hold on a second. I, I don't like the word neediness there. <laughs> okay, because that's that, cool. That, that implies that it's, it's, it's invalid and, 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 and dysfunctional as opposed to having deep relational needs and finding healthy ways to fulfill them is actually a culmination of mature relationship. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, so sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm interjecting. So, yeah. yeah sorry. No, no, but that's yeah. good. That's good. So let's log that. I'm going to come back to that because the first thing that emerged for me was a great neediness and realizing that in those in those moments, I have so the image that came to mind was almost me as a young boy, like trying to hold onto God's hat and go, no, like, like I'm with you in this sort of like hold my hand. I, I need to be a part of this. I need to be aware of your presence, connected with you, and awareness now of potentially what's happening in those moments is not a don't be so needy, but a stand alongside me and be a part of this and witness what I'm doing with someone else. And that that is a way to partake with God in God's life in the world. It's actually a very rich thing. But that for me to go, no, 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 right now, like, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. So that's why the word neediness comes to mind is potentially distracting. If I think about the human to human again, myself and my fictional partner, the doctor, 
we wander through the hospital on her rounds. And with every patient, I attempt to hold her hand. Yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> right? That would be an insecure attachment moment for me as a human being to the other human being. I am, there's something participating in that moment as I attempt to, to some extent, block her participation in the moment because she needs two hands to do what she's doing and I'm trying to hold one of them. And I think what emerges as I sort of let that just marinate, now coming to what I've parked from what you said, is I think that that neediness can be there when there is an invalidation of the one-on-one. -on -one. Because if my relationship with that doctor, coming back to the human-to-human, -human, is only ever on the rounds together, then I will start to go, what about me though? All I ever see is you investing in these random patients. Who, who the hell are these people? <laughs> they just sit in their white beds and they pay money for you to come around and smile at them and make them better. What about me? And so when I say there's, there's some nuance that I'm, I'm just, because it's quite fresh, I'm just battling to get out. When I say neediness, I'm aware in the moment of a, ah, this is not about me right now. And the invitation there is that that's okay. There is an invitation towards a mature, be part of this and participate as I participate, kind of says God. And that that is matched and must be matched by a genuine, there's an acceptance that this is the case as you put out, and a genuine actual happening of a meeting of needs on the one-to-one -one basis. And that I also, I borrow from the human, because a human relationship, me and my doctor again, where we are not meeting each other. Like if I never get to hold her hand, that doesn't meet a need for me. I need that kind of physical contact. Then that not meeting of need has a potential to morph into the insecure, which is the neediness. And, 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 and that takes away from the relationship and that relationship is doomed to fail. And so there is a distinction of what's happening in those two moments there and the importance of, of both, but not missing, not misconstruing that the two is synonymous. They're not the same. Different things are happening there. Look, look he hearing you speak like that reminds me of the dysfunction with a lot of post-renewal movements. You know, if you think of the, the, the overly strong attachment to everyone having to speak in tongues, the absurdity among some Pentecostals or amongst the charismatics and the third wave, whether it's everyone having to be falling over and excess hype, of, of emotionalism, that kind of stuff. There I start seeing needy spiritualities being played out in, in very clear ways, you know, and it's a spirituality of, 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 of attention seeking and attention expression, you know, like, like, like you know, it becomes limelightish in some ways it becomes, it actually becomes absurd. It actually gets in the way. And for a lot of people, that's actually what they experience. They experience all of that getting away of them, genuinely trying to connect with God. Um, so, so I think that 
that that that perhaps on one hand we have silence and mystery in an unhealthy box in, when it comes to spirituality because there's no relational engagement that leads to a certain kind of dysfunction and then we've got a lot of noise and a lot of hype in another kind of spirituality that also is dysfunctional and neither of those end up fitting into the relational thing because when a relationship is validated say you and your fictional doctor partner <laughs> have, <laughs> yes. a, have a good relationship you go out for coffee you've got a good home life all of that kind of thing you don't even have to go to work to be there with them you know you might be included in their work depending on what the relationship is or what's going on or anything like that but you don't have to and that's not the box in which you're going to try to get your affection your handholding your validation you know the whole don't look at the patient look at me thing and and i feel like as an analogy it does it does open it up and it is really important that we actually consider neediness in the context of spirituality and dysfunctional spirituality dysfunctional needy spirituality but on the other side identifying that that is the case can lead to a process of healing and restoration and a process of building trust and communication that can enable people to grow to something that is actually mature and healthy it's very important in that sense that we that we do analyze things on a on a case by case you know it's an individual thing it's a one-to-one -one thing but also it doesn't help to recognize that someone's needy and just continuously swat, swat them away there's a need to respond and bring healing and the reality is that god is able and willing but is often not seen to be doing that and there's questions that emerge around that and and i think a lot of that has got to do with the fact that our religious contexts are not relational contexts and that god is not actually relationally present there and then and hence that stuff isn't happening in terms of the restoration to health you know in other environments you've got you've got people's lives turned around why because because someone stranger walks over to them and goes i think i've got a message for you from god and in that moment it brings home that this god that someone has always believed in actually sees them and is present to them and it is actually real and not just a fiction of faith you know and so so a healthy spirituality isn't a spirituality of faith it's a spirituality of relationship is, is 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 largely what i feel and that relationship is growing and we should be able to see someone over a period of time move on a continuum towards closeness to god from whichever direction that they're in rather than move on a linear continuum that we can place them on oh if the person's like the following we put them in that box if the person like the following we put them in the other box you know which is the classic thing <laughs> so so it's very different because the direction people are moving towards relational unity with god differs depending on whether they're coming from the left or coming from the right whether they're coming from a broken home versus a secure home but just because someone comes from a secure home doesn't mean that they're necessarily moving towards a relationship with god in a good way because they could be like the partner to the doctor sorry i'm taking the doctor away from mm. you giving them to someone yeah. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so they could go look i've got a secure relationship why because i don't have to be like that needy person i don't have to follow her on the rounds i don't have to hold a hand i don't have to interject with the patients to get attention i don't have to play up and make make jokes or lie to the situation therefore i've got a good relationship but the question is okay once work is close are you meeting for coffee 
are you withdrawing one-on-one when you're at home, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we often contrast those two and go, because it's not needy, therefore it's healthy. And that's not the same thing because we can be absent to our intimate relationships. We cannot be showing up in our one-on-ones with our intimate other. And that actually transposes directly to God and our relationship with God, whether we are needy or avoidant, whether we are actually showing up and engaging or whether we're fighting and closing down. Absolutely. There are just so many of these processes that that are at work all the time. And I think that's where I'm just, I'm very, very grateful for the human to human paradigm because it really gives me, I, I hesitate to say more of a concrete, but you know, I, I'm, I'm not pushing for absolute certainty here because that's where if you push into the experiential within yourself and just with others, you immediately see that the concrete has to apply it, it has to be applied and you really have to walk out what that means with the individual. It gives me a handle to better unpack the actual experiences between God and myself that allows me to work away from some of that dissonance, to do that disqualification work and go, okay, let's talk about the actual relationship that is. You know, and, and even there, I mean, I, I see some of that is just located within some of, again, some of my experience of the human to human. Is if I talk with two, in, two individuals and I'm there to help them do their relationship better, a lot of the immediate work is just getting rid of the stuff that's not actually consequential, that's not central to their relating to each other. And so the he said, she said, uh, that's one of the things that I, that I come across time and time again when I work with couples, for example. It, they just want a referee to award points to the he said, she said game. And as soon as you clear that off the table, it's as if the commun- especially in really bad situations, as if the communication just stops immediately. And they go, well, we don't know how to relate to each other if we're not trying to score points off. Yeah, but I bring home the money. Yeah, but I cook the food. Yeah, but I put the kids to bed. Yeah, but I, and we go, okay, but let's talk about something a little bit more deeper about how you're actually relating to each other. Oh, no, it's, it's very hard to, uh, to actually put that into words. Uh, yes, but that is the work. And, and I think that's what really attracts me to, to processing and working within this way. And it, it seems to me to just be absolutely central to being a good relational being myself, to seeking to do that in healthier and healthier ways, to do that with other people. And to allow that framework to also guide me when I relate to God and I can then take seriously God's questions, God's interactions, the, some of the discomforts that happen between God and I, some of the disconnects that happen, some of potentially, dare I say, even the miscommunications that happen. There are a number of processes there that just resonate very strongly with what's happening within me and with between me and, and other human beings. And, and it's incredibly instructive, I think, incredibly helpful, incredibly illuminating. Yeah, I think so. I, I think I think again, this is this is one of these um this whole arc that we've been on on you know, starting off with relationships to define relational spirituality, touching on, you know, broad history or paradigms, all that kind of stuff. Coming back to this, it just 
it just shows me that this is such a rich uh, it's such a rich it's such rich terrain to explore and yet when i think back to studying spirituality especially in my undergrad degree it was about it was about exercises which are really just disciplines to temper appetites <laughs> to temper your needs and wants they they weren't interrelational because even the even the reflective component was 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 an intra intrarelational reflection on how I, I was growing as an individual it actually wasn't interpersonal in the sense there was nothing in that that was interpersonal in terms of relating to god it was all god brushed language the god paintbrush or brush over was taken and applied to things it was a it, it's christian themed character development that i experienced then whereas i wonder what it would be like which is which is what we're doing <laughs> Is the whole thing of, of of taking these relational foundations and then applying it and going, what is it like for us to work at this? What would it be like to acknowledge being needy or insecure in relation to God, being anxious or being avoidant? What would it be like to acknowledge that that the fact that, you know, forty years in someone goes how do you know you're hearing the voice of God? By implication is mm, I don't know if I hear the voice of God. What what would it what, what would it mean if if irrespective of our rank our role our our years of service our 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 accomplishments our education etc etc in the faith all that kind of thing what if we could just begin with the acknowledgement that we're actually not clear as to when we're hearing the voice of God and we might confuse that with other voices like our own or even just acknowledge that we don't trust God. What would it be like to acknowledge? Beginning by acknowledging that like we're in relationship with someone who thinks they're perfect and it's infuriating. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, there's there's many different <laughs> there's many different dynamics like that that if if they showed up in a counseling environment like like you keep referring to, you know, that if there's a couple there and they put these things on the table, we don't you don't brush over them. You actually spend time going into them. And the important cycle in terms of their healing and reconciliation and their growth as a couple comes down to being able to say those things and not get to come back as a, yes, you brush over it, or now I'm going to give you my tit for tat and compete with you in terms of who's the most wounded or broken or anything like that, or most injustice, you know, who's got the greater injustice between us or carries the heaviest load or anything like that. If we lay the composition down and just hear the other person, it's a very different dynamic. But we need to be able to speak honestly about where we're at. And I don't believe I've been in many environments at all. In fact, very few that I haven't facilitated myself where people have been able to step forward and go, I don't trust God. And I don't actually want to hear from God because I'm afraid of what God might say to me. And if we're going to have genuine spirituality, we need to be able to create environments where it is not only safe to say that, but in that context, to experience the self-disclosing God present in person to engage to one degree or another. Where that language of recognizing the, the drawing near of God and the withdrawing of God actually comes together with that. So that we don't displace the actual relationship that could be with a fictitious relationship that can never be. Mm. We, don't, we don't end up with a relationship of silence and mystery 
when we could have a, a relationship of, of 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 vocal even having it out and vocal discovery <laughs> through presence. Well, just those two points that you made just now um, about being scared of what God might say. What was the first one that you said? Well, the other one is is just being honest about not trusting God or not okay. knowing yeah. God's voice, not being able to rely on it or reliably discern. If if you dial back again, if you dial back into the human there, a relationship that's built between hu two human beings where the one is afraid to hear the other self-disclose and so introduces a single or a number of processes to mitigate that is not a sustainable relationship. I mean, my wife and I laugh, but we 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 watch uh, we watch some of these what would you call it reality TV I guess series. But now that we're in Holland, in the Netherlands, one of the things that we're doing is working on our language, and so we're watching a Dutch series called "A Farmer Looks for a Wife." Oh, and uh, it's fascinating. I mean, as a as a as a student of human behavior and emotion and relationships, etc., I find these programs fascinating in the extreme for for too many reasons to go into right now but my wife and i we sit there and we watch these and we unpack why did they choose that person why are they relating in that way what's happening what's going on <laughs> who's going to choose who what's the couple turning out to be etc and so one of the couples recently is a man who says very very little like very very little like one to two word answers there's, there's just there's not much there verbally but you get a sense that there's a lot going on under the surface that's just for whatever reason battling to come out conservative farmer sort of background or whatever there's a lot going on and he's paired up the the, the person that he chose eventually out of three he narrowed it down to a woman who asks him questions and answers them for him. <laughs> and and we laugh because we say, oh, what a perfect couple. You know, we say jokingly because he doesn't want to or can't or whatever it may be. He he won't answer those deep questions about who he is and his emotions, etc. And she asks them and answers for him and fills in all the space. It's like a waterfall of words <laughs> all the time. <laughs> that it's It's actually, I mean, it's, it's it's more than funny, obviously, but at a superficial level, we just laugh and go, oh, well, there we go. But the problem with that, that I think, okay, well, that's that's all fine and dandy for an eight-week show, but how long are they going to make it? Because her insecurity is playing up. They, they could honestly last. They could honestly last forever, <laughs> provided they stay within those dynamics. Yeah, they could. They could. <laughs> they could. But here's the question is, is it her insecurities in relating to him that pushes her to both ask a question and then be, at least to my perception, so scared of the silence that she immediately fills it with what she thinks he might say or thinks he might feel or whatever it might be? And how sustainable is that for a deep relationship? Because she's going to have to continually build a relationship in her mind of who the two of them are 
based on primarily intra-processes. What she observes, what she intuits about him, the little bit she picks up from you know, his one to two word answers, and then what she generates all the time in terms of what he's thinking and what he's feeling that she kind of gives to herself, actually. She doesn't even give it to him. And so dialing back into the human reminds me of that, that process of going, you know, I've watched people in churches who will pray something deep and earnest and heartfelt and heart sore even. And there can be tears and there can be, there can be a bit of a shift in their foundations as they, they shake a little at, the, at what it means to let that out the bag. Where are you, God? Or whatever it might be. And a transition, it's interesting to watch. And interesting is not a big enough word. Uh, it's saddening, it's interesting, it's fascinating, it's unbelievable, it's all sorts of things. To watch the transition happen, that that escapes, and sometimes immediately, sometimes almost immediately, sometimes within a very short pause, that same person will transition into, you know, in Christian circles, I, I grew up to understand that as, well, I grew to understand that as declaration. They start to tell God who God is. And so the only way to deal with you being uncertain or sore or insecure or doubtful is you must immediately just, you shout it out, the louder the better. You tell God from what you've read in the book, tell God who he is. God, where are you? Uh, oh, no, that's a bit uncomfortable. Okay, well, you're good and you're just and you're ever-loving and you're ever-present. And it's the same human process of being too scared to leave a break and go, where are you? And then shutting up until the other responds. Sometimes recognizing that the, that the response is your echo and not God. Yeah. As I've been saying for the last short while, it makes a lot of sense. But every now and then, I feel as though that gains a little bit of traction when I can say to someone, so if, if you had a conversation with your husband, wife, friend, lover, sibling, parent, whatever it was, and you asked this genuine question, and then very soon afterwards, you started filling in the blanks for them. Would that be something that would meet your needs in that relationship for connection? And the answer invariably, I think, is no, if the person is reasonably well adjusted. And then juxtaposing that next to, okay, just take me through what you're doing with God then and show me how that's any different based purely on that relational setting. Without jumping, you know, as you say, too quickly to just doing away with that through whatever learned process there is, learned behavioral process to, to do away with the relational angst that's involved there. That's been fascinating for me in my own process. And it's also really interesting to watch other people kind of start to grapple with that and go, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. Why would I ask God a question and then immediately tell God what the answer was? Am I afraid to hear what God might say back? Is there a good reason I'm afraid? Or am I just populating the darkness, you know, silence with monsters <laughs> when you know, one of the classics for me is like, don't ask God what God wants you to do with your life because God will say, sell everything and move to China as a missionary. 
you know, that was one of the, like the jokes in, in the church context when I was really sort of starting out was don't be too earnest about asking God what God's will is for you because it's going to be something horrendous. And then you think, yeah, what if it wasn't? What if it was something else? What if, what if God is not waiting on the other side of that door, just going, oh man, your life is going to suck. I've got some horrible stuff lined up for you. Because, you know, when you cage, when you, when you hedge your bets and you cage yourself in, you, yeah, you can keep out some of the nasty stuff potentially, but you might also miss some real wonderful stuff. And that's true in human relationships as well. Sometimes people really surprise you with their grace and their warmth and their acceptance. And, and if you're telling them that you're just okay, you might miss hearing them say to you that you're actually wonderful. Uh, and that's a, that's a real loss. Well, in many ways, this this ends up being an extended conversation in terms of how relational depth with yourself, relational depth with others, and relational depth with the divine other really is interconnected. You know, that, that if we haven't got the inability to be real and love ourselves, in fact, the capacity that we have for uh, for that enables a capacity of depth in relation to others, including the divine other. And although although God can hold that range for us, the range that we have enables us to enter into at a certain range with ourselves and others and God. And so, if we if we can't go deep with ourselves, it's very really hard to go deep with God. If we can go deep with God, and God takes us deep. God expands our capacity to go deep with ourselves and others. And so they are intertwined, and a very helpful place to start is not trying to perhaps unknow God in terms of relational terms, but to actually know God in relational terms. And I think in that sense as well, it's, it's very easy to, to either overly masculinize God or neuter God as opposed to fully engender God relationally. And to, to, to think of how, you know, a male in relation to his intimate partner as, as, as a female has got certain dynamics that, me, that might mirror a male or female's relationship with God as their intimate partner, you know, where they respond in a quote-unquote masculine way as opposed to a feminine way. Like, there, there, are, there are relational dynamics there in terms of how God pursues us and how God waits to be wanted that's that that are common to normal human relationships you know especially reciprocal ones you know there's there's so many dimensions here where we can explore them in 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 terms of how they're intertwined and how our human re re relationships reflect God but then because we're actually seeking a deeper spiritual intimacy with our partners we're also seeking a deeper spiritual intimacy with God that goes beyond just our physicality and in fact, if we keep relationships skin deep, uh, which looks like doing activities together, or even skin deep in terms of bodies relating to each other, we don't end up being fulfilled and nurtured at the deeper level. And yet, and yet somehow, we think that by keeping our spiritualities that way, we get to relate to God in a meaningful way. I like that. <laughs>